0: bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day, another opportunity to gather together as your adopted ones. Help us not take this privilege for granted, that we can learn your word in peace and quiet in this beautiful building that you've provided for us. We ask that right now you help us cast all of our anxieties upon you because you care for us. Help us concentrate fully on your word being filled with your spirit. And Father, most of all, we're grateful and thankful that you sent your son for us 2,000 years ago for the purpose of dying in our place. So that whoever trusts in him from the heart will be saved We're just eternally grateful for your gracious plan of salvation. We ask that you bless this message, that you guide us by your Holy Spirit and teach us what you want us to know tonight personally. We ask these things in the name of our precious Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ, and it's by the power of your Spirit we pray. The Deceitfulness of Sin, Part 13. So the Spirit, as always, has been very direct with us and honest with us lately. Uh, He's called us this past week to not accept pity parties in our lives or in our souls. He's been saying, accept what you're responsible for. And because of that humility, I will exalt you at the proper time. That's the message, one of the messages, recently. If you're responsible for something, if, if, you know, over the years, let's say you've made certain decisions and you're wondering why God has allowed something in your life, well, just examine yourself, accept that responsibility, be free by accepting it, and allow God to change you and even exalt you at the proper time. And another message, the last couple lessons, is that even if you don't hear from God an answer to your prayer, an unanswered prayer still includes a divine answer. So God says, just keep trusting me. Sometimes God's silence is him saying no. Sometimes maybe he's just saying, not right now, my son. It's not the right time. But the heart God is after And the heart God is waiting for in us says the following, regardless of circumstances. True humility says God's will be done, period. That's the condition of the godly heart, a submissive heart, a repentant heart. That's someone who wants God to sanctify them and is is submissive about it. Your will be done, Father, whatever it is. I know I don't know the answers. I know you said no right now, or it's not the right time. I didn't hear from you directly on this issue, on this problem. But you know what? I'm good with that. God's will be done. Whatever you want. My life is yours. It's not mine. So the deceitfulness of sin tries to lead us away from this one simple truth on the board just get you to stop saying that in your heart. Just as it tries to lead us away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Could simplicity and and purity of devotion to Christ, could it be better stated than in that phrase on the board? Is there any more pure way to say it? Jesus said it when he was praying before the cross, right? Others said it. Other spiritual men said it. Your will be done, Father. So sin isn't happy with us when we hold this attitude in our hearts. And sin, as we heard on Sunday, is not going to just leave us alone. It's going to henpeck us. That's what I was thinking about on Sunday. Just keep nagging you, trying to distract you from such simple purity of a godly heart as God's will be done. It will antagonize us and try to lead us away from this divine attitude on the board, your will be done. We must find our peace from within, from Christ, the only one whose promise is true. There's peace in that statement, if it's said from the heart, we can play along, right? I know I should say that's so I'll say it, even though in my heart I'm not really surrendered to it or to him. We must find our peace from within, from Christ, the only one whose promise is true. And there's peace in accepting His will for your life. That's the point. There's peace in accepting his will for your life. It's not your will all these dreams you had as a child or pictures of what your life should be or could be or what the world convinced you it should be through media, well, we need to drop that garbage. We're here for God, right? We're here for Him. That's why He created us for His glory. Our life belongs to Him. So we're out of line, actually, when we're unwilling to say, Your will be done, Father. Father. My life is yours, whatever you think is best. So again, on the board, John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. If you have his peace, if you believe in him, for His peace, if you're willing to accept your will be done, it's not my life, then your heart won't be troubled anymore or fearful. But it's His peace we're called to accept and that will change our lives and our hearts. There's no other peace. It's different from the world. As we saw, and we will get to, sin's only hope is to counterfeit the things of God, including His peace. That's sin's only chance in our lives to get to us, to counterfeit the things of God, including, maybe especially, His peace. Don't fall for substitutes, because there are none in this world. In this life, in this world, there are none when we get to heaven, it'll be a different story. We'll be, we'll be in his peace, literally. But don't fall for substitutes right now. Here's a follow-up point that came out on Sunday. I put it on the board for you. Sin will lie to us, proposing that we might find peace somewhere else or with someone else. For example, a member of the opposite sex, friends, bosses, jobs, money, we could go on and on. To believe such a lie is to be dominated by sin. If you are believing that you can find peace somewhere else in this world or with someone else in this world besides the Lord, you have just bought the lie. You are being dominated by sin, even though you probably don't realize it. And do you see how this begins in the heart, in our hearts? I mean, look at the statement at the end there, to believe... Such a lie is to be dominated by sin. Where does believing take place according to the Bible? In the heart. Read Romans 10. So this all begins in the heart, and then it it branches out, if you will, into our lives, right, into our actions, etc. So this is what Satan and sin are targeting first, If he can sway the heart, then he can sway the life. Again, on the board, sin will lie to us, proposing that we might find peace somewhere else or with someone else to believe such a lie is to be dominated by sin or to allow the sin nature to control you. As we've noted, sin is attractive and seductive. It presents itself as beautiful and friendly, not with red horns and a scowl. Most of you know that. But I'll tell you, I fall into it sometimes. When I think of sin, I think of the obvious overt evil, like immediately, right? Because maybe we're so conditioned even by the world. Sin is adultery and murder and obviously overt evil things we have to start looking at sin in a different way in our hearts. That it is a beautiful seductress, if you will. It is approaching you as a friend, not as an enemy. It's not going to ask you to do the obvious things wrong. It's going to ask you to do the unobvious things. So this is how sin deceives us, pretending to be our friend and offering to give us what our flesh really wants and that's a tempting offer and then we rationalize the heck out of it so we can get it right now convincing ourselves it's even from God I don't see anybody smiling on that one but we know it's true right so we have to start looking at sin that way as it it presenting itself as a friend So on the board, the deceitfulness of sin. The most dangerous aspects of sin are the ones we don't readily identify as sin at all. It is their ability to hide out that makes them the most dangerous. Isn't that like the most dangerous enemy in any situation? Whether it's war or whatever the situation, it's someone you can't see. Someone you don't know where they where they are right now, even though you might know you have an enemy. That's the most dangerous. On Sunday, the Spirit brought out an interesting thing to understand about sin. That as powerful and corrosive as sin is to us, it is equally weak to defend itself once it's seen or called out. It's an interesting dichotomy. As powerful and corrosive as sin is to us, as as horribly it can destroy our lives, so terribly. It can, it can dominate us. It can dominate others. It can ruin lives. As powerful as it is, it's equally as weak to defend itself. When it's discovered. When the light shines on it. The analogy came to us like this on Sunday from Pastor Collins. Uh, he was uh, hearing uh, a talk on U.S. Navy submarines. And the conclusions were that the submarines are among the most lethal instruments of war on earth they're also among the least armored and they depend wholly on stealth as defense mechanism really amazing when you think about it a strange combination to have such raw power yet to be totally weak in defending itself from attack and that is like sin, that was the analogy the spirit brought out on Sunday That's like sin. Think of sin that way. Yes, it's powerful and overtakes us when we're weak. But it's also defenseless against the light of the Word of God. I think of Satan, the most powerful and intelligent creature to ever come from the hand of God. And what does Holy Scripture say about him in the end? That people will look at him and say, this is the one that deceived us? This is the one. Because at that point, he's under the power of God. He's under judgment. He doesn't stand a chance when the power of God is against him and, and his word is against him. So actively in our lives, like functionally, when we allow the word to, uh, to dominate our soul, right, when we cling to the word, then we shine light, God's light on the, on the sin situation. And guess what? Sin kind of just shrivels up. Like, oh, crap, I'm spotted, you know? I can't operate the way I was. I can't fool them anymore. And so that's why we have to cling to the Word in our hearts, you know? So, a little bit more on the deceitfulness of sin. The most dangerous aspects of sin are the ones we don't readily identify as sin at all. It is their ability to hide out that makes them the most dangerous sin is very powerful until it is identified by the light of the word it then becomes defenseless and this is why satan and his evil spirits hate the light they hate the light it exposes them for what they really are which is liars and deceivers and murderers trying to bring us down with them and it takes away their chief strategy which is deception Again, the most dangerous enemy is the one you can't see. You know he's out there, but you can't see him. Once you know where he is, he might not even be, you know, equipped to defeat you. And so is true if we're clinging to the word. Turn uh, again to John three nineteen, The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 19. So this has been a principle that's been repeating in the last couple lessons that even though sin is extremely powerful until it's identified by the light of the word then it's defenseless it's almost like it has no other effective strategy or minimal strategies its main strategy has been uncovered so look at John 3.19 this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And by the way, I looked up the Greek word for exposed. It means reproved or admonished. Reproved or admonished. Arrogance hates to be corrected. Hates to be corrected. Don't correct me. I know what I'm talking about, right? Don't we all do that? (laughs) Someone wants to correct you and you're like, I I know what I'm talking about. I've studied this already or I've been doing this for so many years. Who are you to tell me? There's our arrogance of the sin nature comes out. It's like defense, right? One-on-one. But for everyone who does evil, hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed or reproved or admonished. But he who practices the truth comes to the light. In other words, he's not scared of the light because he's not ashamed of his deeds. He who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Do you remember what God said to Cain way back in Genesis? Turn to Genesis 4, verse 3. Let's take a look. This passage fits in very nicely with our study on the deceitfulness of sin. What did God say to Cain? It was something very similar uh, to what the Lord just said in John 3. Uh, Genesis 4, verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. So in other words, Cain was reproved or admonished for not doing it God's way. His sin was exposed here. He chose the darkness instead. What was the darkness? What was the choice of Cain? What was the darkness he fell into? Doing it my way instead of the way God instructed me. I'll make an offering. I'll do it my way and I'll satisfy God by my own solution. By my own idea. In other words, I'll disobey God and I'll show him I can satisfy him on my own. That's what Cain did. He made a Wrong offering. So again, verse 5 But for Cain and for his offering he had no regard, so Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Does that sound familiar? If you do well, if you obey God, won't you be happy to see the light? Won't you come to the light, as we just read in John three twenty one? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. There's tashuka again. Its desire is to dominate you, but you must master it. So, sin is telling us to stay in the darkness. Do it your own way. You don't need to submit to God's way. You don't need to make an offering per God's prescription. Make your own offering. That's what sin is telling us. For example, so from Sunday we saw the God of this world and all his sons of disobedience, unbelievers, hate the light so much that they do the most effective thing they could possibly do to it. They counterfeit it. That's really all they can do. They hate the light so much they don't want to be exposed by the light or reproved by the light. So they'll counterfeit it to deceive themselves even and to deceive others. And they may not even know they're doing it being under the control of a different spirit. So again, the God of this world and all his sons of disobedience, unbelievers, hate the light so much that they do the most effective thing they could possibly do to it. They counterfeit it. Cain, we might say, gave a counterfeit offering to God. A lookalike, a substitute. Maybe Satan convinced him that the counterfeit was just as good. We don't know that, but could be. The kingdom of darkness had no other choice or has no other choice than to counterfeit the truth, or they'll be totally out of the game. Turn again to 2 Corinthians eleven 14. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. Satan has no other hope than to come up with a good counterfeit. And that's where religion comes in. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Sin's only hope is to counterfeit the things of God. Deception is its key strategy. Without it, it wouldn't get anywhere with us. Not not us believers anyway. So what does sin do? On the board, sin counterfeits. The kingdom of darkness invents options that look very similar to the real thing very similar to the real thing. I think of the Catholic Church, from which I came years ago, uh, so I'm not throwing stones. But if you look up their doctrines, they are filled with a whole bunch of truth, quoting Scripture along the way, but mixed with lies, largely from taking Scripture out of context. It's a counterfeit form of faith because ultimately they say a man must be saved by his good works. But see, here's the counterfeit seduction part of this. Why is it so appealing? Is not doing good works biblical? Is not doing good works even what God wants from us? So how close Is it to the original? How close is it to God's plan? This counterfeit. It's very close because they quote scripture and they... Obviously, God wants us to do good works. We just read about Cain. If he did well, quote-unquote, would he not have been blessed? But the kingdom of darkness influenced Catholicism over many centuries to put the cart before the horse. So everything's out of whack. Everything's out of order. A lot of truth being quoted. Like stuff that you have to agree, it's in the Bible. It's true, principles. But they put the cart before the horse. They made it into a religion, obviously, where man can earn his way with God as opposed to turning to God for grace as the only solution. So, again, on the board, sin counterfeits. Sin might say this, let's cloud one's need to be saved from their sins, and let's cloud the fact that man's own works from the flesh aren't good enough to please the holy God of the universe. That's kind of like step one of sin, sin strategy. Let's cloud this truth. Let's blind their eyes to this. Isaiah 64, 6, Romans 8, 8, for example. Let's cloud one's need to be saved from their sins and let's cloud the fact that man's own works from the flesh aren't good enough to please the holy God of the universe. Let's not tell them about the need to repent and turn to God's grace for salvation through faith alone in Christ alone. Let's not tell them that. You know, I don't know about you, but in a lot of Catholics I have discussions with, they don't know that. They they don't believe that's an issue. They don't believe sin's an issue in their life. Many think they're quote unquote good person and they're surviving on their own um, form of goodness. So it's a deception, right? They they're not. They're, they're told half the story. We might say. I don't know. But this is what sin does. And he gets into churches, he infiltrates churches to preach truth with lies so that someone doesn't even think they're, they're a sinner and they need a Savior. Kind of shocking. Mark 15, Ephesians 2.8 and 9, you all know these verses pretty well. If you want to look them up later, certainly do. But this is what sin does, sin counterfeits. Let's just cloud the truth a little bit. Let's, let's throw a lot of Scripture out there, actually, and let's hide this one let's hide this principle, this truth in the background so we can give man credit, so he can start to build on his own, if you will, make his own offering to God like Cain did. In other words, let's jump right to the commands to have good deeds before God and the truth that man will be judged for his deeds. All true statements according to the Word. But let's jump right to that. The kingdom of darkness is a master At taking truth out of context. Just like Satan quoted to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. So sin's strategy on the board. Sin says, let's keep a whole bunch of truth in the mix. We can't fool anyone if we just deny the whole truth. But then with the truth of the word in the mix, we can stir in some lies to deceive people on God's way of doing things gotta be a whole there has to be a whole bunch of truth there to cover the lies to be in front of the lies that are getting mixed in I was reviewing my notes and I thought of the movie I think it's called The Help I don't know if you've ever seen The Help and some of you might know where I'm going with this but there were a lot of ingredients in that pie to hide the bad ingredients, and I'll leave it at that, you can go watch the movie, but without the good ingredients, the bad ingredients would be exposed very easily, and so this is religion, again on the board, sin says let's keep a whole bunch of truth in the mix, we can't fool anyone if we just deny the whole truth. But then with the truth of the word in the mix, we can stir in some lies to deceive people on God's way of doing things. Again, sin's only hope is to counterfeit the things of God. Therefore, it must stay extremely close to the original. Deception is its key strategy. Without it, it would get nowhere with us. So regarding this, the following question, question came up from the Spirit on Sunday. I kind of added the heading there. What's your problem? Really, that's, you know, that's what we, we could say to Satan in the kingdom of darkness. What's your problem? Why would Satan and his servants choose to masquerade as angels of light? Why do they do that at all? Why not just eject themselves from any relationship whatsoever with God and beyond their merry way, why not do their own thing? Why are they so concerned with deceiving us as angels of light? In other words, why don't they just leave believers alone and go live their own lives? That's what came up on Sunday. An interesting question, just to think about, right? Why? Why is that even in play? As we would say in our culture, when someone you know won't mind their own business, what's your problem? Why are you? pursuing me why are you after me about this the answer is found in the very nature of sin the very nature of sin the corruptness of sin the uh, way sin operates and thinks i picture sin as a bully just like a bully on the playground he's not satisfied with living his own life and just being friends with everyone why does he have something to be scared of? Is he, is he you know, losing something? Usually the bully's like the quote-unquote strongest on the playground, right? Why doesn't he just live his own life and quote-unquote be happy and be friendly with everybody? He's not satisfied until everyone submits to him, whether it's verbal or in their actions or by forced action. And that's what how sin operates. I'm going to get everyone to submit to me. I don't care that I'm free or that I, I have my own uh, you know way life that I could live. I really don't care. Sin's very arrogant, of course. On the board, sin is never satisfied with equality. It must dominate. Teshuka, Genesis chapter four. That's that's the nature of sin. It must dominate. Unsatisfied until it dominates. And so Satan and his double agent, we might say. Sin won't stop until they can bring as many people down with them as possible. And that's the very nature of sin and the evil that's within him. That's how it operates. It doesn't care. So the key point from the Spirit on Sunday was this. The nature of sin. Sin is never satisfied with equality or some sort of truce. Sin's intention is to dominate nothing less. Since we stand in the light as believers, the only option it has is to masquerade as light. We just read that in 2 Corinthians 11. To counterfeit it to gain our attention. It's really the only option it has. It would be nice if sin just announced itself when present. You know, It would be nice if it, if it let us in on His schemes or where he was located in our lives. But that's not what enemies do. And he's an enemy of God and of mankind. Like a very violent enemy. So the conclusion was the only way someone or something can simultaneously oppose you at heart and dominate you is to counterfeit that which you hold dear. Just think about it. How else could it be possible for something or someone to dominate you, or I'm sorry, to oppose you at heart, and yet dominate you? How can they get in that close to dominate you? By counterfeiting what you hold dear, your principles, the word of truth, the light itself. Go to Psalm 55, verse 12 again. Psalm fifty-five, twelve. It has to sneak in close to us to be successful. Cuz we know sin is, you know, against us. We know sin is trying to do certain things to us or control us. So it's not going to work any other way unless it can sneak in by our side as Pastor mentioned on Sunday, really close to us. Psalm 55:12 For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. Let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to Sheol, for evil is in their dwelling, in their midst. As for me, I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and He will hear my voice. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me, for they are many who strive with me. God will hear and answer them, even the one who sits enthroned from of old, Salah, with whom there is no change, and who do not fear God. He has put forth his hands against those who were at peace with him. He has violated his covenant. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Again, on the board, the nature of sin. What's the conclusion? The only way someone or something can simultaneously oppose you at heart and dominate you is to counterfeit that which you hold dear. Get in real close and act like a friend. It's really the only way. Like the Trojan horse. You know, let me sneak behind enemy lines in the disguise of a gift. That's how sin operates with us. In different areas for each of us maybe. But that's a major strategy So we can learn from David's wisdom and discernment here in Psalm 55 as a dedicated man of God. The point is, we mustn't be naive to the wiles of Satan and sin, being fully aware that they use people, even our familiar friends at times, to deceive us or attack us. They use people. The kingdom of darkness uses people, even nice people, especially nice people, That's what they do. Because guess what? If a quote-unquote nice person hasn't submitted to Christ and they're not changed in their heart by God, they're very usable, extremely usable, even to say the right things, to get close to you. Satan loves to use people, give them a different spirit to dominate them, maybe even a demon, and say, hey, go up to them and befriend them because you have something to gain from them or whatever. And they come really close they get really close. That's how Satan and sin does it. And then we see the wonderful promise of God that he'll protect us, even from this kind of deceit, which is so deadly without the light, because you don't know that your best friend standing right next to you you know, was sent from the kingdom of darkness, maybe. You don't know. But the Lord says, I'll protect you if you turn to me. Look at verse 22, Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. That's right after verse 21, right? Very good math, people. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. In other words, like, what do I do? Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. If you turn to God from the heart in humility, He won't allow you to be shaken. He'll protect you from such deceptions that you don't even know are standing right next to you. If you humbly turn to the Lord from the heart, you submit to Him, you cast your burden upon Him, then He sustains you. Wonderful promise. So we don't have to be, you know, um, really smart, really savvy to recognize all the deceptions. We have to turn to the light and say, God, you show me. I can't do this. And what does he do? He, he's more than happy to protect us from that as a good father because we're humble before him. We saw a similar promise that the spirit had Peter write down. For us. Uh, turn again to 1 Peter 5, verse 5. This is kind of like a sister to the promise we just read in Psalm 55, 22. We saw this on Sunday, but it's worth repeating. Such a wonderful truth for us to uh, fall, you know, like fall in God's arms. And Just say, Lord, I, I need you to show me. I'm I, I don't want to be deceived. I want to follow you. First Peter 5.5 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on Him, like Psalm 55, 22. casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, as David apparently was. Be on the alert, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith. That's going to come up again shortly. Firm in your faith. Resist him. Firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. The same deceit and attacks are coming against your brethren in the world. You're not the only one that's being deceived by familiar friends or quote-unquote nice people or religious people. You're not the only one that can't see your enemy and how he's trying to deceive you. But if we turn to the Lord in humility, if we resist firm in the faith, sin shrivels up in front of us because the light is too strong and it even runs from us. So stepping back now, big picture. This came up on Sunday. What does God want us to do with all this information, all this wisdom about sin and its strategies? What does God want us to do? We were called out on Sunday in a good way To dig deep within ourselves. To examine everything and everyone in our lives closely. You know, it's almost like shaking the tree. All right, what's going on in my life here? I've been used to a lot of things or a lot of people or a lot of lifestyles or whatever in my life. Which ones need to be shaken? Which ones are bad fruit that got to come off my tree? Which ones do I need to examine and honestly accept that they might not be good for me? So we're not talking about doing this kind of thing in paranoia that everyone's out to get you. But we're talking about no longer being naive to certain realities in our lives. God doesn't want us to continue in this pattern if there's some reality in our life that's just not good, just not healthy, is allowing for deception to get close to us. So that's the challenge, to dig deep and examine honestly everything and even every one in our lives. We were called to use the light of the Word of God as our interpreter for what's going on in our lives and to no longer go with emotions or the fruit of partiality. No longer. There comes a point when we, we have to grow up, right? <laughs> and it, that probably is throughout our whole lives, right? In different areas, we finally decide, okay, I'm going to grow up in this area. I'm, I'm done being a foolish adolescent to some degree god no longer wants us to stay naive to certain things that are dragging us down you know he's trying to set us free and we're holding on to these things because the flesh also loves to turn a blind eye right loves it that person's not that bad i love them so i can't separate from them so i'm gonna ignore what i just saw or heard or keep hearing And you know it's wrong. You know it's unhealthy. You know it's dragging you down sometimes. So God's like, maybe no longer with that stuff. At least don't be naive to it. Let me show you the light of the situation. But that takes a willingness and a humility within us, right? If you're not willing, you can keep those blinders on and fake yourself into that everything is, is good in your life or healthy. As came out on Sunday, we have to make sure in our own souls that we stand firm in the faith, as Peter just said. And this was a major point that the Spirit emphasized on Sunday, which wasn't even in pastor's notes. But life doesn't interpret the Bible. The Bible interprets life. That's just the way it is. That's just the truth but we love to go along with the first part of this because we don't want to shake up our life. We don't want to shake the bad fruit off our tree. Life doesn't interpret the Bible. The Bible, Bible interprets life. The Bible tells us what's right and what's wrong and what's healthy and what's not healthy. And this means being honest, looking at ourselves in the mirror again. I know. We've heard this many times over the last few years, right? Look in the mirror. Listen, truth is designed to set us free. Why do we, be, why do we keep kicking against it? We think we have some form of peace that we're going to lose by holding on to something that, you know, really is unhealthy. That's what it is. But if we want to be set free, we've got to accept the truth and be honest. And not only looking in the mirror, but not walking away and forgetting what God reveals to us. Anyone good at that? God just revealed something to you and you know it was him and it was his conviction. (laughs) And then like 12 hours later, you're like, I'm going to forget that happened. I'm going to forget that. I'm not, I wasn't really convicted. Maybe I was imagining it. Maybe I was dreaming. I thought it was real. Whatever we can do to keep our own little lives intact and continue suffering, right? God doesn't want us to walk away and forget what he reveals to us. He's like, if you just accept it, you're going to be free. Let's go to a familiar friend on this. Uh, go to James one twenty-two. James one twenty-two. Life doesn't interpret the Bible. The Bible interprets life. So look in the mirror of the word of God and don't run away from what it shows you. James one twenty two. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, He has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Don't fall into the trap of verse 24. Once he's looked at himself and gone away from the mirror, he immediately forgets what kind of person he was. God had you look in the mirror. You saw a blemish on your face or whatever. All right, this is the analogy. And he said, there's a blemish. Take care of it. And you walk away from the mirror and conveniently forget what he revealed was off in your life. To our own suffering, we do that. So from Sunday on the board, our suspicion of where sin might be lurking in our lives, ought to turn over every stone, shine light in every corner, confess every sin we see in the process. That's the attitude God wants us to have, of humility. He's telling us what sin is doing in our lives and how it operates. And now that we have a a new healthy suspicion of sin and, and its deceitfulness, we should be looking everywhere. Every stone, turn over. Shine light in every corner, Lord. I'll confess every sin I see. As soon as I see it, I want to turn from it with a repentant heart. Be like, ah, Lord, help me be done with that. I agree with you. That's wrong. It's not good. But we should be looking in humility. And ironically, it's for our own benefit and peace. As Pastor said on Sunday... For most of us, often the hardest part of this exercise concerns our relationships with other people. It's hard to separate from others, to call something out as bad when you maybe you're used to it or familiar with it. But again, God's trying to set us free. If he shows you something's not good, just obey. Just obey. If, you, if it's relationships with others, do it with love. But just obey. If it's separation that's needed or whatever it is, do we agree with God regarding the lifestyles of others? Turn again to Psalm 139 21. Psalm 139 21. <clears throat> do we agree with God, reg- with God regarding the lifestyles of others? That's a good question. And again, the word confess means to agree, right? This is what God wants us to do from the heart. Do we agree with God regarding the lifestyles of others in our lives? Psalm 139.21 Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. What humility. But really, it's back to the basics that we started with tonight. Your will be done, Lord. I want your will to be done in my life. If, if there's a certain person that's bad for me, tell me. And I'll separate, separate from them, even though it hurts. I want your will to be done. Search me. Know my heart. Show me where I'm off. Look at, God wants us to look at things how he looks at things. We see here in this passage a willingness to surrender to the Lord and all of His ways and willingness to have the Spirit shine the light on our own souls even, whatever we might find. It's coming to a point where we honestly say in our heart, I just want to know the truth, Lord. I want to know all of it. That's what God wants us to get to. We're not all there right now. Nobody's perfectly there. But this is where God wants us to come to. I want to know all the truth, God. Just show me. I know it's going to hurt some of it, but just show me. I want to know. You might not be there yet, but the Spirit is giving us a gracious chance to go forward in His light, to honestly look in the mirror and be set free from the further domination of sin in us. God doesn't want us to be dominated by that thing anymore. He's like, I love you. I want you to be at peace I want Christ to be your peace. I want you to stop looking to these other things for peace. Because I know mine's the only one that works. He's the only one that works. His Spirit in us, alive in us when we submit to Him. It's all that works. The filling of the Spirit. So turn again to Psalm 119, verse 9. Actually, this is a new passage, not from Sunday. Psalm 119, 9 as we begin to close. I'm not going to get where I want to, but that's okay, Lord. God's got a plan. Psalm 119, nine. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Do you see a repetition there? With all my heart I have sought you, and your word I have treasured in my heart. If you can say that, if you do that, then you're going to be protected from the deceitfulness of sin. You could see in verse 11 that I may not sin against you. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. What's your protection from sinning against God? What's your protection from being dominated by sin? Treasuring God's word in your heart. And then the light will be full blast in your soul and you'll be able to see things for what they truly are. And you'll avoid the deception of the sin that stands right next to you. And on the board, we have this promise in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. When are we going to find them? How are we going to find them? Like really, fully, more fully. How? When you search for me with all your heart. In other words, I'm not going to take um, ha- half efforts. I'm not going to accept, um, you know, like some polite attempt to get to know me. When you seek from me with all your heart, you're going to find me. And the light's going to be full bore. But God's waiting and waiting. He's so patient with us, thank God. But that's the promise. Who's going to truly find him? The one that seeks him in this way. Again, not only does God want us to be uh, delivered from the deceitfulness of sin, He also doesn't want us to be mastered by it. This has come out repeatedly off and on here the last couple weeks. He doesn't want us to be deceived by sin. He also doesn't want us to be mastered by anything. Because if we're mastered by anything, we're now being mastered by sin or the ways of sin. So we saw Paul's divine perspective in 1 Corinthians 6.12 in the Amplified Classic. Paul said, everything is permissible, allowable, and lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, good for me to do, expedient, and profitable when considered with other things. Everything is lawful for me, but I will not become the slave of anything or be brought under its power. This includes good things, everybody. Quote-unquote good things or quote-unquote harmless things. On the board, this was a point Pastor closed with on Sunday. Therein lies a favorite breeding ground for sin. That chasm between something intrinsically benign or good and the exploitation of it by sin. What does the world say? The world says you can't have too much of a good thing. Enjoy. Well... That's the sin nature speaking. Exploiting even good things. Turning it into sin by calling for it to dominate us and master us. Even a quote-unquote good thing. Or a benign thing. Sin can and does exploit good things in our lives. Think about it. It exploits good things in our lives. Like how evil is that, right? To twist something, to try to corrupt you, to try to control you with even something that might be a gift from God. It leads us to take things out of context in our lives. It can even use the provisions of God, such as food and drink, to enslave us, to, quote-unquote, master us. Remember the guy who was addicted to the donuts a couple weeks ago? Addicted to donuts. The bank account was empty. An exaggerated story, but you get the point. Like, how could that be wrong, right? Having a donut. How about this? Brace yourselves now. You know, just brace yourselves. Don't get mad at me. How about coffee? Anybody addicted to coffee? You know, how how much is too much? Is is it too much of a quote unquote good thing or a benign thing, a harmless thing? I just heard from a friend on Sunday of a guy he knows who's trying to eat healthy and therefore he's eating 15 eggs a day. I can't even fathom that. 15 eggs a day in the name of being healthy. Are eggs good for you? Absolutely. Is there a chance that's not good for you? (laughs) Probably. But the world says you can't have too much of a good thing. Overdo it. Be controlled by these things that might even be gifts from God. Be controlled by them. That's what the sin nature says. It's another thing sin uh, wants you to believe. You can't have too much of a good thing. So we'll close with this point on the board. Too much of a good thing can be too much. Why? Because it eventually enslaves us and masters us, taking us away from our only Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. There's only one thing that should master us it's Him. There should be no thing in this world, no person in this world that should master us. To oversimplify, sin tries to ruin everything in our lives, even the good things. That's how wicked sin is. It doesn't care about you. It acts like it cares about you, don't forget, but it doesn't care about you. It tries to ruin everything in our lives, even the good things, even good relationships. For example putting your children or spouse ahead of God in your heart. The Bible might say we lost our first love. A gift from God placed ahead of God in our hearts. On the board, too much of a good thing can be too much because it eventually enslaves us and masters us, taking us away from our only Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. So something to dwell on. We'll close on that point. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again. Your Word is awesome. We thank you for bringing all these things together for us to understand and see how sin is operating in our lives. We thank you for shining light on deceptions and calling us out to be humble before you and honest before you. Father, we ask that you bless us all as we go and help us to healthily examine ourselves and to grow up where we need to. And help us also, Father, to spread the good news to others in this world that are so lost and they don't realize it. Help us expose Satan and sin for what they're really trying to do to even our friends and loved ones. Father, give us the grace to do so in love. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen.